On today's episode of Phone Calls with Clever People, we're talking all about engagement. My clever guest, Cole Fink, recently told me that no matter what it was that attracted someone to your team, it's growth that makes them stay. I thought it'd be great to give him a call to learn more about how we can create truly engaging learning experiences for our clients or our staff. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, liftoff! Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Joining me for a conversation today is Cole Fink. Cole is the author of a brilliant new book called Tribe of Learning, and he's just one of my favorite thinkers. He's also the head of programs at Thought Leaders Global, and I've seen his work firsthand in how he shapes truly engaging learning communities. And so I'm really excited to catch up with him and have a conversation around engagement. Cole, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shane. Lovely to be here. Very excited to be here. I read somewhere that you were once described as a cross between um, the Energizer Bunny and Yoda um, (laughs) in terms of your wisdom um, and insight and also your energy. Um, Is that a true statement? That's a true statement. And look, like I don't have it, I'm not, can't be absolutely certain that it was meant as a compliment, but I've chosen to receive it as one. So uh, I am a very enthusiastic human being, Shane. I, I bounce off the walls sometimes. And, uh, and if, ever, if ever someone needs a bit of an energy pick me up, I can be a useful guy to have in your corner. And, uh, and hopefully the, the Yoda reference, hopefully that was a compliment and I've occasionally said some some wise or useful things for some people sometimes. So that's well, you, doing what I want to do. You definitely do. Um, I, I often talk about people when you go, when well, when we used to go to cafes, um, I talk about getting order envy. It's like you, you pick something off the menu and almost straight away, you immediately want what somebody else had. Um, and I, I feel a little bit like that with your brain. It's like, I feel like you got given the brain that I really wanted um, because I, I, I look at the way you think and the, the way that you unpack concepts and, and the wisdom that you bring. And I go, yeah, I, I, I want a little bit more of that. And so we've got a, a mutual friend, Lisa O'Neill, who often talks about taking a teaspoon of somebody. Um, and you're definitely a person that o- over the time I've, I want to take multiple teaspoons of to kind of incorporate into my own thinking. Um, but look, before we get started, <laughs> before we get started, let's jump in with some fast facts so people can get to know you who don't know you. Um, three questions. Number one, where were you born? Number two, what was your first job? And number three, what do you do with yourself now? Excellent. So I was born... Uh Almost in the car park, in fact, uh, of a hospital in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, so I was the third third child, and by then, Mum had gotten uh, pretty blasé about the whole birth thing, and so she left the trip to the hospital until the absolute last minute. And uh, and so I was very nearly delivered out the side of a uh, an Austin Healey convertible in the car park, but they just managed to get inside before I was born uh, in Melbourne, Australia. My first job was. Uh, at the direction of my mother, actually. So she was a little concerned that my brothers were a bit too dependent on on their parents. 
And so she decided that uh, it'd be a good idea if I went and got a job at Safeway, now Woolworths, of course, when I was uh, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old, whenever it is that you can start working at Woolworths opened up nearby. So I was a checkout operator, um, an essential, we, we've since discovered essential I would have been an worker. essential worker <laughs> uh, in, in this day and age, but actually... Um, I actually loved the experience, and if I may brag briefly about my experience as a checkout worker, uh, it got to the point, uh, I loved the checkout process, I loved meeting people and chatting to them while I'm scanning their groceries, and um, and my brain functions well enough that I could do both jobs at once, you know, I could be efficiently scanning <laughs> and having a conversation. Sometimes you meet checkout people who can't quite manage that, um, but there was a bunch of Mums, typically, like I don't want to be sexist about it because dads should definitely go shopping, but there are a bunch of mums, typically, who I kind of got to know quite well, and they would actually queue up to come through my register specifically. <laughs> um, and once, I clearly remember this lady, I've forgotten her name now, but she introduced me to her children who were of a similar age to me, and they thought it was the lamest thing of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, you know, I'm friends with you, mum. Uh, <laughs> Well, it is one of those things, like, it's kind of like the barber or the hairdresser that you, you sit in a chair for an hour with them almost once every few weeks and probably totally, spend more exactly. time with them than you spend with anybody else. These are people exactly. who are seeing you on a weekly basis. Exactly. No, <laughs> I, I, I was totally vibing with my uh, with my Woolworths customer buddies. Um, and then what do I do now? Uh, well, you mentioned I'm the head of programs at Thought Leaders. So I work for an organization that... Uh, we help clever people be commercially smart, and um, and so essentially what I'm doing there is is designing programs and experiences that help uh, people who've got a message they want to get out into the world to do that. But um, in addition to that, I run uh, my own practice, which is essentially me uh, writing books and speaking and running training programs and doing coaching um, around the areas of expertise that I've been cultivating over the last kind of two decades of my life. Um, and at the moment, my focus is very clearly on the idea of learning and engagement. Mm. And I'm really, really excited about the opportunity that people have to create engaging environments uh, which allow the people in their tribe, and that tribe might be your clients and it might be your staff. Um, it's, it's anyone who's kind of assembled behind a common purpose to come together and um, and I think engaging environments create situations where people are um, excited and enthusiastic to tip in discretionary energy, mm-hmm. you know. And so I'm sure you've either worked in organisations or, or or had a job where it wasn't just the salary that was keeping you there; it, like you were you were actively engaged in pouring yourself into this work. And as a client of of some companies, um, you know, for some people it's Apple, for some people it might be the type of car they drive. But there's this real deep engagement in um, in their kind of association with that business and it's mm. more than just a transaction. And I'm really I'm interested in how groups of humans uh, work together and I'm interested in the ways that leaders can create environments to, to kind of maximise uh, the positive aspects of humanity when we get together in groups. And mm. so that's 
that's my focus at the moment. I love that. And you touched on something which I, I was reading about in, in your book, Tribe of Learning, um, which is like, what is it that marks a tribe or what distinguishes a tribe? Um, and in the openings of the book, you, you talk about um, Seth, who we mentioned by first name and everybody knows, which is just <laughs> such a beautiful um, thing to be known in that way. Um, but you talked about um, tribes as a book, um, and, and it's one of my all-time favorite books, as being a book that tends to focus around the, the leader of the tribe. Whereas your book has this really unique um, element to it that it focuses on the the learning of the tribe. Um, and so mm. obviously the, the idea of tribe is not necessarily new. We all kind of have different con- concepts about what tribe means, but I really liked your uniqueness around what you described as tribe. Um, so like for you, what are some of the distingu- uh, distinguishing factors that mark a tribe of learning? Yeah, so I think about what are, the, what are the things that have engaged me over the course of my life? Like what are the times... What are the activities or the groups where I've been deeply engaged over a long period of time? And what I've noticed about every experience where I've been deeply engaged in something over a long period is, is that it's, it's had at its core a journey of personal growth of some sort mm. driven by learning. Mm. And so I see it in, say, sporting context. So I'm an obsessive ultimate Frisbee player, or at least I am when coronavirus isn't around and I can actually you know, play sport with other people. Um, and so my, my involvement in sport, in the club that I'm in and in the sport that I'm in, is about learning um, new and technical skills, but also growing as a person, growing as a teammate, growing as a leader. And if I think about um, work environments that have been um, really powerful for me, almost universally, I was learning something and, engage, and, and, and engaged in a, a journey of deep personal growth. And so I talk about tribes. Um, as places where people are engaged in a journey of personal growth with learning at its core. Mm. And one of the things that I'm focused on in writing this book and in coaching people throughout creating environments like this, I think leadership and the conversation that we have around leadership at the moment has, has built this real focus around the deep personal responsibility of being the leader. We've created this real significance about you're the leader and you must take responsibility and do the right thing and lead by example. And it's not that I disagree with that, but I think that it creates a situation where we're creating a reliance on the leader to Mm. do and be everything that we need, which I think is a bit unhealthy and a little, I don't know if it's like disrespectful or it doesn't recognize the power and strength of every single individual within a collective. Mm. I don't like the idea that leadership, the way a lot of us are talking about at the moment, basically says if the leader fails, everybody below them is also going to fail. Mm. Like, are we, are we, are we, are we, do we have that little faith in the, in the people below the leader to look after themselves and to do their own thing? And so one of the major themes in my book, whether it's explicit or not, is the people in your tribe are way more powerful than you could ever imagine. Mm. They are way more creative than you could ever imagine. They will think of things and do things that you would never dream of. And your role as the leader, I reckon, is less about you're the leader. You do everything. You set the example. You, 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 you. We want to get out of that mindset a little bit, I reckon, and and be a bit more us-focused, a bit more we-focused, and a bit more... What can the leader do to create an environment where they kind of set their tribe free to do the exploration themselves? Mm. 
mm. set the tribe free to exercise it, the, their own individual and group creativity and productivity and kind of allow them to explore whatever it is that you guys do, whatever your thing is. Um, because I believe in the, the power of collectives and in the mm. power of individuals within a group to do amazing things. And I want to take some of the responsibility off the leader for doing everything. I reckon the leader's responsibility is simply to create the space. And mm. then the people, they'll do, they'll do the amazing thing. Um, so that's that's a theme that kind of reoccurs throughout the book. Yeah, it does. And and I, what a um, a great sense of relief for a person who is potentially trying to build a a community or a tribe of learning um, to not feel like they have to have all the answers, they have to have all their ducks in a row, have to have everything ready to go in order to try to start creating this, these communities of learning. But actually realizing that there is incredible um, depth of of wisdom and insight from the people that uh, are gathering people together and you talk about in the book that, that it's not about common interest but it's about common purpose right like what's the distinction between those two because often we talk about you know if we you know if we support the same football team then obviously we're you know we've got a you know we've got a tribe and but you've kind of distinguished it a little bit different yeah so I think of um, a football team's a perfect metaphor for it right so I follow the Melbourne football club in, in AFL but when I go to the to the MCG to watch a game of footy, right, I'm there with thirty or forty thousand other people if we're lucky, um, dressed in red and blue. Um, but there's really nothing that binds us together other than the fact that we happen to follow the same football team. Mm. And if you were to look at me as a person and what I'm about and what I believe in and the things that I'm invested in and all that kind of stuff, the likelihood that I'm going to share anything more in common with a Melbourne supporter compared to a Richmond supporter or a West Coast supporter or a Sydney supporter. Like, it's really no, there's nothing that actually binds us together other than this arbitrary uh, decision to follow this particular football team, right? Mm. Now, the people who play for Melbourne or who work in that organization, they have a completely different bond. Mm. They are assembled behind a common purpose. I have an interest in them winning the premiership. They have a purpose in winning the premiership. I'm not actually contributing to that in any mm. way. I sure I turn up and I cheer and I carry on a bit. That's what you do at the footy, right? You act like a bit of a yobber. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only in socially acceptable ways, to be yeah. clear, but we all go to the footy to have a bit of a bit of you know, release or whatever. But the people who are in that organization, they are assembled behind a common purpose. They are actually bought into this journey mm. and they're contributing to it in active and um, you know very powerful ways. And so I want to make the distinction between groups of people yeah. and tribes. And so a tribe for me is people who are assembled behind a common purpose and who share some kind of cultural norms and some cultural memes that bind them together. Yeah. And so examples of tribes that are assembled behind a common purpose might be, for example, um, you're running a, an organization and your staff are assembled behind a common purpose. So you might be a charity and your purpose is – uh, enacting some good in the world. You might be a for-profit organization and your purpose is delivering great products and that's, and delivering power, like good things into the world that mm. way. Equally, I reckon you can have tribes of clients who are assembled behind a common purpose. Mm. So you might run a skateboard company and your tribe are the kids who use your skateboard products, right? And the purpose they're assembled behind is growth as a person through skateboarding. Like yeah. skateboarding is not just standing sideways on a board and rolling around. It's actually a journey towards mastery. Skateboarding is about learning how to learn. There's this whole like 
much deeper thing to it. Yeah. And skaters collectively, they, there's a there's a solidarity that exists among them because they're mm. all assembled behind this purpose, this this push to master it, and a and a powerful like a, an effective skateboarding company taps into that purpose mm. and helps drive that purpose and gives those gives that tribe a focal point and a place to meet and discuss and and learn collectively and individually. Um, on this journey that they're all on. You're right. When you find that common purpose, it attracts people and it pulls people into community and they assemble behind it. So you you have these people, right? So let's assume you already have people who are assembling behind this common purpose. So you've got a, an organizational leader that has a staff um, that have a common purpose. You've got a, a thought leader who's building a practice, who's got a, a client group who are assembled behind a purpose, or you've got, you know, a person who's in a community group, a similar situation. So, for those three different people, now we've got them in a tribe. How do we, you talk about, um, there's the idea of the learning curve, but then you talk a lot about the learning loop. Like, is this the, the, the way that we engage with and we help those people uh, take um, steps towards real practical growth? Like, what are some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, so uh, I love, there's this wonderful George Box quote. So George Box is a, a famous statistician. And, uh, and he, he, he said this um this thing he said, all models are flawed and some of them are useful. <laughs> and so it's this idea that it, there's infinite complexity in the world and occasionally you can simplify it down to these kind of simple models that you can use to interpret the world. Mm. Um, and they're useful until they're not. Like they're yep. useful until they, until they aren't. And it, it, there's a certain art to knowing when to use a model and when to let it go. But mm. over the last 10 to 15 years, I've been interested um, and um, kind of seeking insight around how to engage people. I've been running tribes in some sort or another for about the last 15 years. And initially I was just doing it kind of intuitively and just making it up as I went along. Mm. And as I got deeper into it, I started to get a little more methodical and a little more procedural and a little more, started to think a bit more deeply about it. And what I realized, once I'd, once I'd come to the realization that everything engaging in my life had been a journey of personal growth centered around learning, I then, I wanted to, I wanted to, uncover, like I didn't, I didn't, I'm not sure I wanted to create it myself, but mm. I wanted to discover a model that would allow me to design experiences like that. And so what, what I ended up kind of discovering is a loop that I think everybody goes through in, in all the engaging um, experiences in our lives that are centered around learning. Mm. And so it's a four, it's a four step loop. So if you imagine a, just a circle, there's four steps on it and it's a cycle. And the first step is learning. We do learning in lots of ways. We do it in classrooms. We do it reading books. We do it in lessons in life, right? But mm. the first step is learning. So I reckon everyone wants to learn new things. And they might be really practical things like um, how to do a particular trick on a skateboard or how to do a particular process at work or how to, in, how to talk to people in a particular way. Like there's a million different ways that we mm. can learn. Once we've learned a new skill, Unless we go and put it into practice, we just kind of check out. Like if you learn something new but you don't get to put it into practice, it, there's not a lot in that to, to hold on to. Mm. So we go from learning to challenge. We want to take a lesson and we want to be challenged with it. Yeah. Um, and so in a sporting context, you want to take it out onto the field and try it. You've learned this new thing in soccer where you can trick the defender and move the ball one way and mm. then go the other, right? You want to be challenged. You want to actually put that into, into it's practice. It's a really nice, nice picture in terms of the visual that we're getting as you're talking us through that. Yeah, excellent. And at some point, 
in that challenge, uh, eventually we want to make progress. Yeah. I think we've all had that experience where we're getting challenged in the world, we're not making progress, and the, the challenge never ends and we never seem to get anywhere. That too is kind of disengaging. So eventually at some point in that challenge, we want to succeed and make progress and get some kind of reward, you know? And so at work, some of your reward might be monetary, um, but equally your reward could be in kind of affirmation or esteem mm. or happiness or like there are all these ways that making progress um, is rewarding. So we learn something new, we're challenged by it, and then we make progress and receive a reward, right? So I think we can all, I think we can all identify with experiences in our lives where we've done that. Yeah. There's one more step of the loop, and I reckon this is, for many people, the key to creating engaging loops because what we want to do, we want to come full circle and learn something new again because mm. we've learned something, we've been challenged, we make progress and receive a reward. We want to come back to the learning. And there's a step here which is vitally important if you're going to create sustained, self-sustaining, momentum-building, um, engaging tribes. Mm. And that step is contribution. Mm. So we learn something new. We're challenged in the world. We make progress, receive a reward. And what we want to do next is contribute something back. Mm. So there's this process whereby we solidify our learning and we kind of um, we close the loop on that, that, that stage of development in our lives by contributing that learning back into the tribe. So if you're the skateboarder who's learned a new trick and uncovered some nuances, you're going to teach the next kid how you did that. Yeah. Or if you're at work and you've, you've just learned a new sales process and then you've gone out and actually succeeded in implementing it and landed a new sale, you're really excited about it and you want to go back and share the lessons of that journey with the other people in your sales team. Mm. You want to contribute to their success with the effort and the, like the progress that you've made. Once you've made that contribution back into the tribe and received the recognition and affirmation that comes from others who are on the same journey saying, hey, thanks, Shane, that was such a useful lesson. I'm going to put that into practice myself then you're ready to, to enter the learning loop again. Mm. Learn something new, go out and be challenged, make progress, receive a reward, and then contribute something back. I love and I love the way that that comes together. Um, that contribution is such a critical key in, in, in all of it, isn't it? Totally. And like if we go back to that, that underlying theme of it's not all about the leader and mm. progress is not all about the, everything, like the, what the leader does and what the leader contributes – this contribution phase of the learning loop to me is the part that releases the leader from the responsibility of making all the progress themselves. Because mm. what it does is if the people in the tribe, whether they're your staff or your clients or whatever, right, anyone who's assembled behind this common purpose with you, if they are put in an environment where they learn new things, they put them into practice, they're challenged in the world, they make progress, receive a reward, and then the energy that they get from that, they contribute back into the tribe. Mm. It becomes this positive feedback loop because the lesson you've learned and contributed into the tribe becomes the lesson that I start my next learning loop with, mm. right? So you go out and do something and you learn a lesson and you contribute that back. That then starts a learning loop for two or three other people in the tribe. Mm. They put it into practice. They uncover more nuance and understanding. They contribute that back into the tribe. It's, you know, to use an overused metaphor, it's the snowball coming down the hill, getting bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger as it goes. If you create a space where people can consistently move around this loop, what you'll find is the amount of work the leader has to do 
gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You become a convener of a space mm. rather than a, like the leader of a, of, of a march, if that yeah. makes sense. And if you can just convene that space, then the tribe itself will generate the energy itself. It's this wonderful self-fulfilling prophecy, this, self, this, um, this momentum-generating loop. Mm. I, I love it. Even in an organizational sense, like if we, we look at it for, say, a HR leader or a learning and development person, we often talk about learning and then we talk about embedding the learning. So it's like, how do we take it from the classroom to actually being work and practice within the workplace? We then yep. talk about rewarding those um, the, the progress that people are making and celebrating the, the progress that people are making, which potentially I find I see a little less of. But the last part is that what would it look like to have those people who are learning and growing and making progress to now become part of um, the tribe in terms of contributing what they're learning? Yeah, totally. And it requires, it requires a degree of humility, mm. like especially – so if you're the CEO of an organization or you're the expert leading a tribe, uh, like a commercial tribe, like often we've risen to these positions and there's a degree of, I don't know if it's arrogance or, or, uh, or whatever it is, that we want to exercise our, our power in those positions and kind mm. of show everybody how worthy we are of being the person given that responsibility. And there's a, there's a humility required to say, you know what, I don't, has to do everything from this position. Mm. I don't have to be seen to be the one doing everything and leading everything. And I can, in fact, take a step back and create space for others to to really shine and excel. And so, like as an example, for someone in HR, if you're if you're the person who's constantly bringing in the um, you know the, the learning and development programs, and you're the one designing how it all works and, and creating all the structures and that kind of thing there's a bit of humility involved in saying, okay, what would it look like if you were to just create uh, less process and more space, yeah, more nice. space for people to create their own things, to contribute their own stuff and to contribute it all to each other. It's self-sustaining. It, it creates its own energy. It builds momentum like that snowball coming down the hill. Mm. Um, and it becomes bigger than you could ever have imagined on your own because it's utilizing the power of the collective. It's giving the, the entire tribe ownership and um, the ability to contribute to whatever it is you're creating and mm. the whole is always greater than the sum of the parts right so. yeah i love that um I, i'm mindful of our time in terms of like if we were to bring this into land like one of the things i like to kind of um, leave people with is like what's what's something that you could give as like a practical next step for people in terms of the, that are wanting to uh, invest more in terms of a, building a tribe of learning and engagement any like kind of quick practical thing that advice that you give to somebody in terms of basic practical steps, I reckon there's the four steps of the loop, right? So learning, challenge, progress, contribution. I'd invite you to pick um, avatars, if you like, or and th so what I mean by that is um, people who represent uh, typical kinds of people in your tribe. Mm. So you might pick someone, for example, who's a, a fairly typical frontline worker, or you might pick someone who's a fairly typical mid-level manager or or um, pick someone who's a typical customer. Mm. And I want you to, uh, uh, in particular, what I want you to do, though, is pick a real person. So pick Janet Smith, who you happen to know, or pick Shane Hatton, who you happen to know. I want you to pick a real person who you know and you've got some familiarity with their experience in your tribe. And I want you to ask yourself, over the last week, over the last month, over the last quarter, 
what have been the 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 loops that that person may have experienced? Mm. What have they learned? What challenges have they faced? What progress have they made? And what contributions have they had the opportunity to give back? And I'd love for you to just think of using that model, right? Because mm. you know, all models are useful until they're not. <laughs> What's, what are some useful lessons that you could pick out by using that model as a lens through which to think about the way your tribe is operating? Mm. And I'd love you – I reckon there can be real value found in like literally five minutes spent thinking about what has that person had – what have their experiences been like in each of those four different phrases? Learning, challenge, progress, and contribution. And if I was going to make an opportunity for them to, 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 to grow more – just a little bit in each of those four phases, what would I do? Mm. Like, how would I give them an opportunity to learn a new thing? How would I give them an opportunity to put that, that learning into practice and be challenged by it? What progress could they make and what reward might they receive if they did so? And finally, and most importantly, how could I make a space for them to contribute back into the tribe as a whole after that experience to allow them to kind of... Um, bring that experience full circle and, and, and set them free to go on the next journey. What space could I create for them to make a contribution? Mm. I reckon if you think through those four phases for two or three or four different individuals uh, within your organization, within your tribe, uh, I reckon you might, you might realize, hey, I've got an opportunity, a really easy win to have learning offered here or to have reward offered here or to make space for contribution here. They can be really simple things. Mm. Um, and I find thinking through those lenses is a, is a, is a useful exercise. It's useful, it's practical it um, and, and really helpful. And we don't even have anywhere near the time to talk about the runway that leads into the learning loop. And so that's, I'm going to leave something for people to go and read the book about. I, I said to you earlier on, I, I find that when I'm reading books, I blinkest a book the first time. And, I'm, and by that, I mean, I, I skim through it relatively quickly to get the kind of general feel of the book. But I found with your book, Tribe of Learning, I couldn't do that because I was there with a pencil the entire time. Like you, you make it engaging and a learning experience. And I found myself just taking my time working through the process. It's such a great book. And so I'd encourage everyone who's um, listening uh, to grab a copy of it. And the fact that it's available free on your website uh, without any kind of hooks or catches or give me your email and I'll add you to my funnel. Um, it's just available for <laughs> no, free. No, just, it no says a funnel, lot about you. <laughs> things are the least engaging things on earth. You will never find a marketing funnel on my website. Oh, I detest them. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's one of the, 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 one of the great things I love about you is your generosity and and, and genuine um, uh, genuineness around sharing the learning with, with other people. And so definitely would encourage everyone to, to reach out, grab a copy of the book, um, read through it, work through it. But make sure that if you do get a copy of the book, make sure that you grab a pen and, and paper or a pencil and paper, whatever your note-taking device is, because it's a practical book. Um, and so definitely do that while you're reading it. Um, reach out and connect with, with Cole on LinkedIn, uh, because uh, again, like you're about having real conversations with people, right? Absolutely. I, I, as I said, I detest the whole marketing funnel thing, and uh, and I love um, I love meeting new people and learning from their experience. Uh, I, I would be a terrible hypocrite if I didn't. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, if, if if people have been interested by this conversation, or the, or they download a copy of the book from coldthink dot com. Um, and and uh, kind of inspired or uh, have some thoughts provoked. If you want to talk about it, reach out to me. I love to talk to people. I love to talk about this stuff. I love to share these ideas. And so, um, and you're yeah, one of the I, easiest I and accessible people to talk to. So um, I'm sure they'll love love a conversation with you anyway. 
I hope so. Energizer Bunny and Yoda. That's the promise. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Cole, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for, for jumping on this. Um, thanks for just being part of the conversation and uh, I've really valued your input and hopefully there's a lot there that people can take away and, and do something practically with. So big thank you to you. Thank you, Shane. And if I may finish with a compliment to you, uh, <laughs> I follow your stuff on LinkedIn. I follow your stuff online and I just love the energy that you show up with every time you take to the screen. The fact that you're able to show up as a real human being through all these digital mediums. I just, um, every time you show up in my feed, it's an absolute joy. Um, I love it, mate. And I wish you all the best. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week. 